then he said, well, you know, it's, it's kind of tough, isn't it? Um, you know, what do you think about it? And I had no idea what to say. So I was saying, well, why don't you just expand on that a bit more and, uh, you know, try and explain what you mean. He said, well, in my relationships with my wife, we can hang out, we can do stuff. If, if I want to see my friends, we can go shoot some pool. But with God, you know, he's not really there, is he? And it's very difficult to communicate with him. And I told my friend, that's a really good question. Uh, come to church on Sunday and uh, you might be able to hear the answer. But it, it got me thinking, and, and we're doing this series at the moment on, on difficult questions. Um, Paul's taken all the tough ones, like the problem of evil. Um, so I, I'm going to have a crack today at um, this whole idea of spirituality. Um, we're going to look at what the Bible says about spirituality. And then have a look at how we can go about and, and try and have a relationship with this God who's not actually there. So what does the Bible say about spirituality? In Genesis 1, verse 26, we are told that um, God, plural, uh, creates us. He creates humans. Uh, then God said, let us make people in our image to be like ourselves. Now, Genesis is very, very succinct. It's very, um, very short. It's not a textbook. It's not a cookbook. Uh, it would really help if they put a thousand-page manual full of scientific data as an appendix to the end saying, you know, God, this is how I created the, the earth, and here's all the, the, the charts. I mean, the scientists would be very happy. But the, the, the Bible just says, God created the earth. Bang. Simple. God created us. And he doesn't really say, say why. Um, but I, I think if we read further into um, Genesis, to Genesis 3, uh, 8, 9... So Genesis 3, 8, uh, towards evening, they heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid themselves among the trees. The Lord God called to Adam, where are you? So we, we, we have a picture in Genesis of a God who likes to come down to his creations and hang out with them in the cool of the day, to be with them, to have fellowship with them. And when he can't find them, verse 9 says he reaches out to them. He says, where, where are they? And so I think from that we can infer that God created us in order that we can have a relationship with him. And certainly when you read a lot of the commentaries, they, they say a similar thing, that we, we're created for the express purpose of having a relationship with God. I want to have a look at a, a couple of people in the Old Testament who had um, relationships with God. Um, one is Joseph. Uh, Joseph is my favorite biblical character, so he's, a, he's an easy pick. Joseph um, wasn't very popular with his brothers. Um, in fact, they wanted to kill him. But then they came up with the good idea of selling him into slavery so they can make a bit of money. 
so Joseph ends up as a slave in Potiphar's house. And while there, here, Potiphar takes a liking to him and promotes him and gives him more responsibility in the household. Uh, Potiphar's wife also takes a liking to Joseph. And one day he, he comes to Joseph, uh, she comes to Joseph and says, you know, um, will you sleep with me? And Joseph's, uh, Joseph's answer is, um, for me, indicative of his relationship with God. He says in Genesis 39.9 that it wouldn't just be a sin against Potiphar, who hasn't withheld anything from me in his household. It would be a sin against God. So Joseph's relationship with God was on such a high level that when temptation came to him, he could say, no, it's going to break my relationship with God. Another person who I think has a very good relationship with God in the uh, Old Testament is David. Um, Probably a lot of you have, have heard the story of David and Bathsheba. So when temptation comes to to David, he doesn't respond so well. But that that doesn't break the relationship with God. We're going to see a bit later about um, how God's grace is, is really the driving force of our relationship with God. But, but David's heart is in the right place. Um, I like the prayer that um, uh, Phil prayed today because it, it's a lot of David's words that, that he writes in the Psalms. Uh, I like especially Psalm 27 verse 4. David says that the one thing that he asks, he just asks one thing, that he can remain in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. Okay, so that means that he can be in a relationship with God forever. And, and that just shows where David's heart is. He, uh, or the one thing that he desires above everything is to be with God. The, the, the Old Testament shows a lot of respect for God. Um, the, the Jewish temple was divided into three uh, sections. The one was the general courtyard area where, where everyone could go. The, the second was called the, the holy place. And in the holy place, only the, the priests could go to. And then there was another smaller room. And this, this place was called the, the holy of holies, or the very holy place, or however you want to translate the Hebrew. And it was in this place that God's presence was supposed to be the most intense. And the holy of holies was a place that was divided um, between the, the, holy, the holy place and the holy of holies. There was a massive curtain. So it was about 40 meters uh, big and, and really thick. And this curtain symbolized the, the partition between God and humans. Okay. And only the high priest was allowed to go into the holy of holies one time per year and pray for atonement of the the people's sins. So in the Old Testament, being with God, being really close in the holy places with God is really only for um, a a specialized few. uh, Only a few people get to really, really commune with God like that. But when when we get to the the New Testament, the, the picture changes a little bit. Um, as we read today in uh, John 15, and you can 
you can turn there if you like, to John, John chapter 15. Uh, Jesus gives the analogy of a vine. So he gives the analogy of um, the grapes and um, Jesus is, uh, God is the vine and we are the branches. And if we want to be good people and have good lives and make nice grapes, then we should remain with God. And, and it's, a great, um, it's a great analogy, I think, because in a relationship, you're, you're remaining with the other person. And, and if you want to have a good partnership uh, or a good friendship, you really need to, to be with that person. And, and remain, I think, is the key word here. It's mentioned in verse 4. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. Uh, and then further on in uh, verses 8, then in verse 9, I have loved you, even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey me, you remain in my love. And uh, I think also instructive is, is the very last verse, um, because a, a lot of people think that, oh yeah, um, so yeah, you believe in this Christianity and uh, it's so boring, and you have to obey all these rules, and you you really don't don't have a whole lot of fun. Well, what is the goal of a relationship with God? Verse eleven, I have told you this so that you will be filled with joy, and not just a little bit that. Your joy will overflow. So that's the, the, the goal of, of a relationship with God. And I, I think in the New Testament, um, even better than David, even better than uh, Joseph, is the example of, uh, of Jesus. He is always taking time out to, to be with, with God, taking time out to pray, and he's very obedient. There's a story in, uh, in Matthew 26, a story which I like because it involves the disciples. And quite often the disciples um, aren't that great in the Bible. They're a bit slow and they don't, don't do very well. So uh, Matthew 26, and this is in verse 36. Um, and the scene is um, Jesus has come to earth for a mission. And it's coming to the, the end game of the mission. And, and it's very soon he's going to fulfill his mission on earth. So he takes the disciples with him and he goes up to pray like he, like he does quite a bit. And he tells the disciples, he's probably excited. He's like, right guys, mission's coming. I want you to, to be focused and to pray. And then he goes off by himself and, he, and he, Jesus prays for about an hour. And he comes back. And the disciples are sleeping. And he says, what's wrong with you guys? Come on, wake up. And he says that the, um, the, the spirit is willing, but the, the body is weak. And, and so he says to them, be vigilant, pray, I'm going to go off again. Do better this time. So he goes off again and he prays to God. And he comes back a second time. And would you believe it, the disciples are sleeping again. 
And he says the same thing. Come on. This is such an important time. I only left you for one hour. Can't you stay awake for one hour? And I, I, I like to try and picture what the disciples were doing at this time. Um, I, I would have probably gone for some sort of a team talk. Said, look, okay, guys, the first time we fell asleep, it could have happened to anyone. The second time, oh, it's not so good, huh? It's, not, it's, it's really not so good. We fell asleep the second time. We, we've really disappointed Jesus. Um, we, we don't want to let him down. We, we, we can't let it happen again, right, guys? Right? Don't let it happen again. Probably a bit like the, the team talks that we had yesterday. We, we, we played in a charity touch rugby tournament. And uh, we, we didn't win so many games, <laughs> but, but we did have some good, good team talks. <laughs> and it, it's a similar picture here with the disciples. Jesus goes off for a third time to pray, about an hour, comes back again. And lo and behold, the disciples are sleeping again for the third time. But the good news is that, that God's grace is enough to cover our weaknesses in the relationship. The, 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 the second point that I really like about Jesus is that he is 100% obedient to God. I mean, he's obedient to the point of death. Uh, God the Father tells him, right, you're going to go and die on the cross. I wouldn't be very happy if anyone, including my father, told me to go and die on a cross. And I, I like Jesus' humanity. In, in Matthew 26, he, he, he really prays with God. And um, while the disciples are sleeping, the, the Bible says Jesus is prostrate on the ground and he's just praying. And he's saying, God, take this cup of suffering away from me. And, and it wasn't just Jesus kind of complaining, saying, yeah, I don't want to die. Jesus was saying... I don't want the relationship between you and me to be destroyed by sin. Because that's what was going to happen to Jesus, is that on the cross, the sin of the world would be put on his shoulders. And only his shoulders, because he was the only perfect, spotless lamb that could absorb the sin of the world. And Jesus didn't want the relationship between him and his father to be broken. But he was obedient. So in, uh, in Matthew 27... He, he goes off to the cross and he fulfills his mission on earth. He dies on the cross. And then in Matthew 27, 51, a very interesting thing happens. Um, I'll read it for you. At that moment, the curtain in the temple was torn in two. So that's that big curtain that divided the Holy of Holies and the holy place. Massive curtain, torn in two. And the... The, the rocks are shaking, and it's, it's, it's a major, major event. I, I really like the, the song that we sang today, um, The Throne, Throne of God. Is that what it's called? <laughs> and and it's, very, it's quite well worded theologically. Um, it's, it's, it talks about a great high priest whose name is love. It could be a bit more specific, saying a great high priest whose name is Jesus. Because <laughs> what, what happens theologically is that in the Old Testament, it was the, the high priest who could go in and atone for the sins of the people. But in the New Testament, the high priest's role has been made redundant. Okay, we, we don't need a high priest anymore because now we, we have the perfect spotless lamb. 
we have Jesus, and he is now the high priest, as it were. And that means that our souls can be purchased with his blood, just like it goes on in the song, and that we can have a relationship with our Savior and our Redeemer. So through Christ's death, the the barrier between us and God has been removed both physically and spiritually. And that's what is allowing us to move more into a relationship with God. So that's the, the biblical picture of spirituality. It's great. The Bible was written um, a few thousand years ago, and, and the church has been going since then, and there have been some, um, some interesting ideas of spirituality that have, that have come into church, um, church practice. One, uh, one example is, is head coverings. So the Apostle Paul... I have to say the Apostle because then you get confused with Paul. But the Apostle Paul said that um, women should wear head coverings during the church service. Um, at that time, it, it was appropriate. But most denominations have, have managed to work out that uh, in the modern world, um, it's not appropriate. But there are still some denominations that will insist uh, that head coverings are worn during the service. And um, it doesn't really take into account a relationship with God, because if you're having a relationship with God, you would need to have your head covered the whole time, not just a few hours uh, on a Sunday during the service. Uh, Another example is um, church attendance. Now, there are some very, uh, very keen people that go to every single event ever organized by the church. They're there every Sunday, prayer meetings, um, members' meetings. If there's an impromptu meeting that's organized, they're there. They probably call the impromptu meeting. These people are very, very keen. They're they're, they're spiritually fit. They're they're in really good shape. And for for me, the, the, the problem with this kind of spirituality is that it leaves people like me, who are not so um, spiritual in that sense, into a feeling that, that I'm inferior because, you know, I, I don't attend church the whole time. I, I quite often miss meetings. And, and that's, that's kind of what I want to look at now, is that whether there are grades of spirituality or whether you can have a really good relationship or, or not with God. Probably my, my favorite example would be worship. There, there's different kinds of worship, uh, as I've now found out now that I've become a more mature Christian. And one style of worship that we we used to uh, go through is very conservative. I mean, very conservative. So um, you you don't sing songs that are less than 100 years old. During the worship, you you pretty much just stand there. The the only kind of movement you can do is, is with the hymnal. And, you know, change the page if you have to. But you're pretty much standing there at attention. That's, that's the way to worship. And I, I talked with um, a friend of mine, and she told me a story about when she went to a new church. And, and this was a church that had a, a more conservative worship style. And she made the mistake of not standing at attention the whole time during the church service. 
she made the big mistake of, of raising her hand during the church service and just enjoying the worship. And, and during the church service, uh, a couple of the elders actually came up to her and explained that in this service, they, they didn't do that sort of thing. Thank you very much. And then there's other groups. Um, other groups with more, more um, contemporary style of worship where um, you can enjoy whatever instruments you like, really, and it's, it's practically encouraged to shout out and, and to just praise God how you want. Um, it was great for me to see the transformation of my father because my father came from one of these standard attention church services. Uh, that, that was his style of worship, like a tree. And then we moved to uh, a more contemporary style of worship, and that was difficult for Dad to, to get used to. So he, he kind of started standing off at attention like he did, and, and he always used to like hold something in his hand, and, and we could never know why. He would stand there and just hold a piece of paper or a pen. <laughs> Dad, what, why are you holding? I just like standing like this. And, and, and that, that's what he did. He just he kind of stood there, and then kind of gradually he, he would kind of look around and, and he'd start swaying a little bit more. And then it's kind of a freeing process. What would get him was what some of these clapping songs. I don't know if you've been to some of these services where, where they like a clap. Dad, Dad really liked that music. It started to grow on him after a while. Once he worked out that contemporary music wasn't the devil's devil's music, he, it, it grew on him. And he, he, he started getting a bit more into it. So in the service, everyone is clapping along. And if you could listen carefully, you could hear a quiet clap in the background. So there's a clap, and then there's a quiet clap, and then another, everyone is clapping, and then there's this clap. And that would be Dad clapping out of time, <laughs> standing there, just loving it, just looking around. Didn't realize that he's clapping out of time. We used to call it a, a counter-clap. <laughs> so that's clapping, bang. And f- for me, it, it, it was a beautiful thing to see the transformation of my father going from a spirituality where he was standing at attention, looking at, well, trying not to move, actually, and worried about how he should worship God to just being free in worship and just worshiping God as as he felt. And I think that's what worship is, really. You, you can pick how you like to worship God and find a church that has the kind of worship that you enjoy. Um, I need to get this book, actually. Um, while at my uh, weekly meetings with Paul, he gave me this great, great little book. Uh, it's by Michael Iaconelli. It's called Messy Spirituality. And it says, yeah, God's annoying love for imperfect people. Yeah, so it starts off, I guess I'm not a very good Christian. I'm not sure what Paul was trying to say when he gave me this book. <laughs> but it says, I don't pray enough. I don't read my Bible enough. I'm not spiritual enough. And it's a good little book because it's quite thin. But for me, books are good if they're thin. And he has a look at this, this idea of spirituality and, and how we can have a relationship uh, with God. And I'd like to read a, a passage from it. Uh, 
Uh, he says, spirituality is not a formula. It's not a test. It, it is a relationship. Spirituality is not about competency. It is about intimacy. Spirituality is not about perfection. Uh, it is about connection. The, the way of the spiritual life begins where we are now in the mess of our lives. Accepting the reality of our broken, flawed lives is the beginning of spirituality. Not because the spiritual life will remove our flaws, but because we let go of seeking perfection and instead seek God, the one who is present in the tangledness of our lives. Spirituality is not about being fixed. It's about God being present in the mess of our unfixedness. I just really like that about it. It's not a, it's not a formula. It's, not, it's definitely not a test. In, in any relationship, communication is, is vital. But when it comes to communication with God, uh, as my friend uh, was getting at, it's not so easy to communicate with God, uh, especially, I find especially. Communication involves uh, speaking and listening. Today we're going to focus on, um, on the speaking part. Because for the, for the listening part, we at least have something tangible. We, we have God's Word. And uh, usually God will speak through His Word. There are other ways that uh, He can speak to us. But at least there's something. Um, but with uh, communicating with God, yeah, it's, uh, I liken it to um, talking on a phone to God. I mean, a phone has this part, the receiving part, where someone can talk and you can listen. But when I pray to God, I don't hear Him talking to me. That's the way. And that's, for me, the difficult part about prayer, and especially, I think, for new Christians, is that you're praying, and you think it's supposed to be a relationship, and it feels very strangely like you're talking to yourself. And it's difficult to explain to your non-Christian friends. Yeah, my new best friend is Jesus. We talk daily. Actually, he's here right now. <laughs> yeah, no, he's there. You can talk to him. No problem. You can, you can have a good relationship with him. But prayer, um, like anything, uh, like communication, is something that a lot of us can do. I mean, if you can communicate, you can pray. Um, it takes a bit of practice, but um, for me, it, just should, it should be natural. Prayer should just be you talking uh, with God and realizing that, that God is the great listener. You, you might not get the, um, the reply or a response or communication from God straight away. Um, you're on God's time. It'll take a bit longer, um, but it will happen. When I was in seminary, there was a guy who had a, an outstanding prayer routine. This guy was awesome. He would get up at 6 o'clock every morning and pray. 
And he would pray for about half an hour, 45 minutes, up to an hour, sometimes longer. He would pray in tongues. He would pray normally. He would shout every now and then. There'd be silence and he'd shout. He would turn his music up really loud. So that meant that if you were kind of anywhere on campus, you could hear him praying. And if you were in the the same hallway as him, or in the building, yeah, you, you could hear this guy pray. He was, uh, he was pretty amazing. And, and it led me to think that, that, that I'm a bit inferior because I don't get up at 6 a.m. every day, including Sunday, and pray. Uh, I shared this next bit uh, with some caution because it's, it's my, my prayer life and, and my prayer routine and, and you might not be overwhelmed by my prayer life. But I, I, I try and take about 10 or 15 minutes a day to pray. Um, some days I don't pray. I, I'm not a morning person, so uh, I don't pray you know, before... 12 o'clock when I start waking up. It's it's not done. But then on other days, I'll wake up, and within five minutes, I'll be praying. No early morning coffee, no shower, straight away, bang, I'll be praying. I pray sometimes on on the bus, on the train, going back and from work. Uh, I pray sometimes when, when I'm working out. I pray sometimes when I'm in a situation during the day and I feel like I need the Holy Spirit just to, um, to help me out a little bit. I'll say a quick prayer. But my best prayer times are when I can get away from everything, from our busy, overachieving Luxembourg lifestyle, get into maybe a bit of nature, and just be still and be with God. Unfortunately, I don't get to do that um, all that often. And I, I think that, yeah, I hope you're not too shocked with my, my prayer life, but that, that's, that's me. That, that's, how, that's how I do it. Coming back to my friends, 6 a.m. every morning, including Sunday's prayer routine, there was a guy at seminary who was just overwhelmed by uh, this guy's prayer routine. He said, wow, that guy is amazing. He is the bee's knees. Why can't we all be like him? If we could all be like that and have a great prayer routine, the the world would be a better place. And that's part of where people can start feeling a bit inferior if they don't have such a wonderful early morning prayer routine. But I I really think my, my friend misses the point. Because... People are all very different. And we are naturally going to have a different relationship with God. We're going to have different ways of communication. We're going to have different times of communicating with God. Like we heard with um, Iaconelli, spirituality uh, isn't a test. You're not going to get graded on, on how well you pray. I mean, I don't know about you, but do you grade your friends 
on how well they communicate with you? Would you grade them on, well, he called me five times at six o'clock, but he didn't call me on Sunday, didn't call me on Saturday, so, you know, what's wrong with him? Well, I would probably fail someone if they called me six o'clock every day, including Sunday. So I, I don't think that there is a more spiritual time to pray. Um, I don't think a, a really long prayer is any more spiritual than a short prayer. Um, I, I don't think that praying in tongues is any more spiritual than praying in a language people can actually understand. One of the things that really amazes me about a relationship with God is that God, uh, God's grace covers so much. Um, I'd like to read Romans 8.38. Um, it's a very well-known verse. Romans 8.38, I am convinced that nothing can separate us from his love. That's the love of God. Death can't and life can't. The angels can't and the demons can't. Our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, and even the powers of hell cannot keep God's love away. Whether we are high above in the sky or in the deepest ocean, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I'm not the kind of person that reads that and goes, awesome, some... Some of, I've been in American churches where they kind of do that. I, I'm a lawyer by, by training, so I read that and go, hang on, there's got to be something. There's got to be something that can separate us from God. But it says, Romans 8, 38, there is nothing, okay, nothing that can separate you from the love of God. That means no messy prayer life. That means no poor results on church attendance. That means that if you're um, a bit useless like the disciples and you sleep when you should be doing what God wants you to do, nothing can separate you from the love of God. And for me, that's pretty amazing because if I was to treat some of my relationships like the way that I treat God, the relationships wouldn't last all that long, I can assure you. When I was uh, about 18, our youth pastor asked us to draw a graph of our relationship with God. And being uh, 18, and so the graph is basically um, you, the relationship, does it, does it go well, then it goes up, uh, does it go badly, then it goes down, does it do nothing, then it goes straight. And so I said, yeah, relationship with God, youth pastor, it's... it's I just drew this line. Yeah, this is my relationship with God. It's, it's on an upward trajectory. It's a beauty, my relationship with God. So he came around and he's like, that's pretty good, Alan. I wish I could have a relationship like that. It's more common that a relationship with God will go up, sure, and then there'll be some down times. And there'll be some times where you're just going along and nothing is really happening. And 12 years later, I can see the wisdom in what my youth pastor said because my relationship with God has certainly had those, those low points even, even very recently 
and, and times where it's just been, been kind of going along. I mean, uh, I don't know if Joseph was any more spiritual than, than David or vice versa. It was just that temptation found them at different, different parts of their journey. And so they responded as they did. I'd like to ask you guys how your relationship with God is. Do you, um, do you pray enough? Do you, do you try and, and listen to God? Or do you even have a relationship uh, with God? Because uh, I'm pretty sure that we were created for the express purpose of having a relationship with God. That's why we're here on planet Earth. And like we saw in John 15, that's the way we can have joy in our lives. The relationship doesn't have to be perfect. But you do have to have the relationship in the first place. Paul is rightly convinced that, as we saw in Romans 8:38, nothing can separate us from a relationship with God. And I'm also convinced that there's nothing more important in this life or the next life than our relationships and especially our relationship uh, with God. So I would encourage you to, um, if you don't have a relationship with God, to to seek out that relationship with God. And and if you are enjoying one, maybe the relationship is uh, not at a brilliant stage on the graph, but that you just give it your utmost, utmost attention. Because if you put your focus on God, the relationship will have its ups and downs, but you'll be able to live uh, meaningful and, and happy lives. Should we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you that... Um, You've created us for the the purpose of of wanting to be with us and have a relationship with us. We thank you that us humans can have a relationship with the the most powerful being. And we just pray that that we would work at that relationship, that we would seek that relationship out, and that we would would try and obey you in, in everything that we do and say this week. We pray these things in your name.